0: Welcome to the Life and Deep Ellen podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. Good morning once again. My name is Marcel, and I am now a covenant partner, and that's exciting, along with This beautiful family, it's not my family, I think I'm theirs, I belong to them. Um, We've been here at Life in Development for about three years, and this community has been, this is not written here, crap, I'm starting the wrong way, uh, by improvising. This community has been such a gift. It's good to be here, and we we look forward to, to what the future brings. To what the now brings, we've been we've been talking about different people in our sermons. Our series is called Time and Place. We talked about John. We talked about Ruth. We talked about Timothy last week, and we're going to continue to do that today. So I want to recap some of what Miranda shared with us about Timothy. Right, so we're in the New Testament, First and Second Timothy. This person who's doing a thing, and then. There's a mentor who writes to the person to do the thing. Now you're up to speed. Uh, Miranda told us about Timothy's relationship with his mentor, who may or may not be Paul. There's a lot of discussion. If it's Paul or Deuteral Paul, which is someone who writes in Paul's style, but is actually not... There's all this nerdy stuff that we like to keep reading about. Uh, but there's some debate about who was who actually writing... Timothy, in these letters, along with Titus, uh, which are called the pastoral epistles, right? Because you have a pastoral person mentoring someone who was pastoring someone else. Uh, that shouldn't sidetrack us here, because whoever that mentor was, they had authority over Timothy, and they were deeply invested in his personal development and in his ministry to the church. So I want you to keep do- those two things in mind. Uh, we know that Timothy was a young leader. And Miranda highlighted how it's a person trying to figure out how to lead a church that was actually trying to figure itself out. Does that ring any bells with anything you've ever done? (laughs) It's like, no, I'm fine, right? There's that meme, the this is fine meme. Um, And we know that Timothy was counseled and mentored, that he experienced community, that he experienced discipleship. Those are some of the things that Miranda shared with us last week. And she also described, and I, and I really like this, uh, the dynamic that regulated not only the mission of Timothy, but she connected it to our mission, as we are called to, to witness and be witnesses for the kingdom of God. kingdom without a G. And, and you might ask, well, what's a kingdom? Why not just say kingdom? Uh, I like to use that expression, kingdom. Uh, and I learned it from one of my colleagues at, at the school where I teach, Dr. Ruben Habito. He's a former Jesuit theologian. He's also a Zen master. It's a very interesting combination. And he, he draws from the work of this, this female theologian called um, Ada Maria Isasi Diaz. You don't have to repeat that. It's a theologian. She was great. And, she, and, and so this is him citing her, okay? Rather than attaching an unnecessarily hierarchical and patriarchal image to what we seek earnestly with our whole hearts and our whole beings. In other words, we kind of revert to the language of king, right? Who's like this vertical sort of boss uh, person. Maria Diaz suggests that we should envision it so, not so much as a kingdom, but as a kingdom of God. That is the place where we, all of God's creatures, are recognized as kin to one another. It is that reality in which you and I and all sentient beings and all of creation can discover one another as intimately interconnected in divine love, truly kin to one another. And the reason I'm using this today, I could have used kingdom, right? But I think kingdom really highlights the, the, the deep connection between this mentor and Paul and between Paul and the church or churches that he was serving. He was a bishop. We don't know what that means at that time. The Greek episkopos is like, whatever, it could be one church, it could be a lot of churches. Anyway, as I said, he was figuring things out. And and Miranda had a slide about the missionary dynamics of Timothy's witness, which I I thought was great. Uh, She said, it was more than one side. telling the story creates community. Connection and cause emerge from community, and the mission is to actually tell the story. Right? Today I want to go a bit deeper into the heart of Timothy's ministry, his call. My intention is not to make him a Bible hero with caps. Uh, We do that a lot, right? I've learned to do that since I was a kid. You have your your Bible heroes uh, who can do no wrong, quite the opposite. I, I want to invite us to think about what we share with Timothy and with the church or churches that Timothy was serving. And in order to do so, we're going to go back to a particular passage and we will exegete it a little bit. Uh, I'm using this passageway as a portal into Timothy's life and calling because of the way that it encapsulates different dimensions of his life, what he was called to do, the way he was called to do it, uh, and the counsel and advice that, that he received. How do I go to the next page here? There you go. So there are all these different aspects to the person of Timothy and we can find connections to all of those in 1 Timothy 4:12 to 16. So if you don't have a bible you want one. I think we have bibles in the back. No? We might. If raise your hand if you need a bible or otherwise just access it on your phone. We're going to focus on 1 Timothy 4:12 to 16. Also, in the interest of full disclosure, I happen to have a particular connection to that verse. So I'm going to go back to, to a little story. So I'm a Lutheran pastor's kid. And I took, yeah, for better or for worse, thank you. I took the whole confirmation thing very seriously. So in the Lutheran church, you've got this weird thing called confirmation because then you, like, you baptize children and then they get confirmed when they're teenagers at 13 or 14. And I had to go through two years of classes on every Saturday while my friends were actually having fun. I had to be at church. But, you know, it was a big deal for for me, for my dad, for my mom, for my grandpa. And at the end, you do this thing, which is great because you're 14 and you're completely awkward. And they make you go up in front of the whole church and say a Bible verse that you know you will screw up. Right? You just know it's going to happen. So I, I, I was taking this really seriously. I was taking it seriously. It was important for me to find a verse that reflected how I was feeling about this whole affair trying to figure out my place within that community. And I didn't want to end up with something weird, you know, something that would forever taint my pristine pastor's kid's reputation, such as these jewels like Deuteronomy 28:27, May the Lord strike you with Egyptian boils and with tumor scabs and itches from which you will find no cure. That's probably, no, not the right verse. Then I thought, what about Leviticus 19, 19? Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. No, but I'm wearing jeans. That's not going to work as well. What do I do? And at my home, conversations usually happen in the kitchen. That's where, well, there's food there, right? So it's where you hang out. And I remember I was sitting at the kitchen table with my mom, who's a, a, a major Bible nerd, and she suggested First Timothy 4.12. So I want to share that verse with you, wrapped in context from two different versions of Scripture. First from, um, from the New Revised Standard Version in RSV. It says... Let no one despise your youth. So see the connection there? That's what I, that's what I was looking for. But set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I arrive, so this is Paul, uh, Timothy's mentor. Until I arrive, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhorting, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which, has given, which was given to you through prophecy with the laying of hands by the council of elders. Put these things into practice. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Continue in these things, for in doing this you will save both yourself and your hearers. Setting the bar high there, Paul, right? That, that's what's going to happen. Let me read this from the message, which I tend to enjoy. As If, if you've been here for any amount of time, you know that I, I, I do that. The message version says, Get the word out. Teach all these things. And don't let anyone put you down because you're young. Teach believers with your life. By word, by demeanor, by love, by faith, by integrity. Stay at your post reading scripture, giving counsel, teaching, and that special gift of ministry you were given when the leaders of the church laid hands on you and prayed. Keep that dusted off and in use. Cultivate these things. Immerse yourself in them. The people will all see you mature right before their eyes. Keep a firm grasp on both your character and your teaching. Don't be diverted. Just, just keep at it. Both you and those who hear you will experience salvation. So, those two versions. Obviously, that's what I went with. The let no one despise your youth was all that I cared about. <laughs> but this verse has shaped and informed my life in so many ways that I can't even dis- describe there are a few things that I want to highlight in this passage in relation to everything we've been talking about in this Time and Place series. And it's unusual for me to preach expositionally. I, I tend to preach thematically. Uh, but today I'm going to exegete the verse in a more systematic way. Exegete, right? Interpret. But I want to do that because I, I think, again, this verse fits into the larger story of Timothy and has something to show us. So I've got a couple things I want to, I want to say. The first, thing, the first thing I want to talk about is the youth thing. In fact, obviously, as I said, that's what attracted me to this verse. I was not interested in Timothy. After two years of confirmation, I couldn't have told you who he was. Um, I, was I felt insecure about my youth. That was it. I, I felt insecure. I felt inadequate to step into the role of a full member that Lutheran confirmation kind of implies I I felt inadequate to to contribute to the life of the community that I was a part of. And, And in a sense, I was putting myself in Timothy's shoes to receive those words. Don't let anyone put you down, for whatever reason. Because I was insecure. And that's great. Because I think we're all insecure. Somehow. And it's really funny... Because of my work, I I interact quite a bit with pastors and church musicians, not only in DFW, but kind of all over the place. And in the past few months, many of my conversations with whoever it is, whoever it is, this this week I was talking to a Baptist pastor in Virginia, who I've never met, but our conversation led to the same place that all my other conversations lead to, which is every church is a church plant now. We're all trying to figure out who we are after COVID and what it means to be community, right? Take that awkwardness of the half fist bump, half head nod, half side hug thing that you, we were, like, how do you even, you know, you you see the other person and you're like, okay, oh my God, I have to greet that person. What should I do? Are they looking for, should I just go with the, hey, how you doing? Or are they going for the fist bump? I'm not sure they're going for the fist bump. Are they going for the side hug? Right, the classic. It's an American classic, right? Like the cheeseburger and rock and roll, the side hug. I had to learn it when I moved here from Brazil because I didn't know how to side hug. Are they going for the full, like who cares about COVID? Give me a good old, you know, Sunday morning hug. I don't know. We're trying. Thank you, Ben. I will. Um, We're all insecure. And we're trying to figure it out how to be a church again. Maybe you're new here. Maybe you've been here for years. I don't think it's different. Um, Perhaps many of us feel insecure because about what we're doing, and and insecure about how we can contribute to the life of this community. Maybe we're insecure about what comes next for us as a church, as we look for new for a new senior pastor. And it's okay to admit that. We should. But when I read this passage, when I hear this mentor telling Timothy, hey, don't let anyone put you down because you're young, just kind of putting his insecurity on the table, right? I'm struck by the similarity between the mentor's advice for Timothy, let no one despise your youth, and this larger theme in Scripture do not be afraid. And we're coming up on Christmas and that angel, right, who keeps showing up to Mary, do not be afraid. And then to Joseph, do not, and then to Joseph again. And Joseph is like, what now? What next? (laughs) I did a little bit of research and it seems that that reminder to not be afraid is delivered either by God or by one of God's people. Like, I don't know, an angel, someone, something, a prophet. Uh, Approximately 145 times in scripture. Whatever may happen, God is with us. That's why Timothy's mentor can exhort him to not let anyone despise his youth. He knows that God is present in that story. And God is present in our story. So the first invitation that arises from this brief in, you know, look at Timothy is step into the story. By stepping into the life of the community that you're called to be a part of. Not only church, your family community, your work community, your neighborhood community. I think in part we have to relearn how to do that. So let's keep with the weird fist bump side hug. We'll, we'll, find, we'll figure it out. Keep tabs on who you can hug and who you can't. It'll be okay. But how should we do that? How, how should we step into Community? and bring our insecurities along with us, that's the next thing I want to, I want to take from this passage. The, the second thing I want to highlight is the, this admonition for Timothy to teach with his life. So it's fascinating to me that this mentor is not telling Timothy what to say. He is tell, telling Timothy how to be. I'm not going to go into you know, the Greek stuff here because that would lead us to other sermons. I want to stay with the English translations. So in these two versions that we read, the words that uh, Timothy's mentor uses to outline that is speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity in the NRSV, speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, and in the message, word, demeanor, love, faith, and integrity. So those two batches, right? If you look at those batches of words, there's a certain type of alignment, of integrity, that Timothy's mentor is encouraging him to pursue, to become. And it is one that we hear often as being ascribed to St. Francis of Assisi. You might have heard this already. Something like, preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. Have you heard that before? Right, and there's this idea that um, St. Francis of Assisi said that. He, he didn't, but that <laughs> points at... <laughs> He didn't, he didn't, <laughs> seriously, trust the Bible nerds. Um, he said something like it in the, in the, the, the Franciscan rule of 1221, if you want to know. Yes, I do that. Uh, but anyway, anyway, there's a connection between this deep living and this alignment and this integrity. What do I mean when I say integrity? I mean, a connection between word and deed. I mean, a connection between... What you say and how you act. I mean, a coherence between relationship with God and relationship with others. That's the theme. And that's a theme that appears so many times in Scripture, right? First uh, Peter 2.21 For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example, so that you should follow in his steps. So that connection. Life with God, life with others. Alignment. Integrity. Notice the similarities between word and demeanor, speech and conduct that Timothy's mentor is asking him to practice and the connection between Christ's suffering as the ultimate expression of God's love and how we should live. And we live in a weird time. right? In this service, I've put this on and taken it off at least five times already. I don't know. We live in a weird time, a time marked by the apparent disconnection between public and private life, between real news and fake news. It's a time of confusion. You know, it's almost like I'm writing a science fiction book. Heavily industrialized nation deals with increased radicalization, influence from mammoth corporations while trying to survive global pandemic. Right? Oh my God, we live in a dystopia now. And there are days when I ask, where is God? I'm not the first or the last or the only person to ask that question, but I do know one thing. Just as Timothy's mentor did centuries and centuries ago, alignment and integrity are needed, so needed right now. Just as they were in in, in the vastly changing world of the first century church, the Roman Roman Empire was plodding along towards its decline, and a couple hundred years later it, it would be over. This nascent church was a small, feeble, vulnerable, loose movement of believers constantly persecuted by local and imperial authorities. Timothy's mentor knew that integrity between word and deed, private and public, Relational integrity, if you will, was the way for him to practice, to rehearse his way into the wisdom, peace, and strength that he needed to serve his congregation, to be a part of his community. So we're constantly called to examine our own alignments, our own integrity. When the parts of my life are becoming out of phase with each other, as they are right now, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm a hot mess. I begin to notice that I'm not present in and for my community. My kids talk to me and I'm like, what? I lose touch with myself. I lose touch with others and there's, there's a certain distractedness that seeps into my days. When certain alignments, when certain coherences in our lives begin to dissipate, it becomes difficult to live well and deeply. Through Timothy's mentor, God is calling us to integrity within and amongst us. And I want to make a caveat here. We're all screwed up. And part of the good news of the gospel for me is that this is something we rehearse. This is not something you attain and live while everyone else below you is trying to figure it out. This is something we rehearse. Time and time and time again day in and day out, we search for that alignment. We try to practice that integrity. And that's where the connection between God and community becomes so becomes so important. And I know if you've, again, been here for any period of time, you've come to expect that when I preach, I preach about community. It's the only thing I do. It's like I'm a very one-dimensional preacher, right? Uh, but there's... I'm sorry, it keeps showing up in Scripture. There's a, a vital connection between Timothy's study of Scripture, uh, his relationship with God, and his relationship with others. In this context, setting an example for others, it's, it's not a matter of pride. It's a matter of calling. Those are two very different things. You're not setting a standard because you're better than everyone else. We're all screwed up. We set an example because we are called to do so, for each other, and we need each other to do it. And I think there is this temptation, there's this gravity in the way we read scripture that uh, tempts us to narrate Timothy's letters to ourselves through the lens of the the make or break mentality of our society, right? Right? those who have met success and those who have not. If Timothy is in the Bible, he did something right, right? You know, it's a corporate success story. It's a private success story. It's a person who had it all together. But I would suggest that Timothy's mentor was concerned with the community that he was leading, at least as much as he was concerned with Timothy himself. In order for Timothy to live deeply and well, he had to step into community with integrity, bringing along his insecurities and his community needed to embrace him as an expression of God's love for them at that particular time. And as I wrap here, wrap up, wrap things up, English, at the center of these three considerations, these three things, insecurity, integrity, and community, sits the central issue of Timothy's calling, of what his mentor calls the special gift that he's been given. So if that's the case, if Timothy's mentor is asking the question this way, that means that at least in part, that special gift shines and it shows up in life with God, in community. You don't, you don't get it before and then bring it and say, you're welcome. You figure it out as you walk alongside people. What's your special gift? What's mine? How are we carrying our insecurities, our hesitancies? How out of phase are we? Welcome to Life in Deep Elm. That's what we do here. But a few thoughts about Christian calling, uh, which is also a concept you know I'm obsessed with. I think they can help us think of our life, both privately and, and corporately. Uh, a calling is not a line. It's not a thing that organizes your life in a particular sequence. It isn't, you know, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and if you screwed up, you're screwed, and now you have to live out uh, like a plan B because you ruined plan A. So you're, that's not what a call is. A calling is it's much more like a flower in a garden that you are called to take care of. Like a seed, it grows in a particular ground that has a unique taste and smell. And the fruits of this seed ripen to reflect the taste and smell of that ground, right? If anyone's into wine, that's what we call terroir. It's when the wine tastes like the ground it comes from. When the fruit tastes like the ground it comes from. And that why, that's why... A mango in the U.S. will never taste the way it should. I'm sorry. It's just not gonna. A calling is also not a private affair. It's not just something you get to organize your life in a certain direction. As Miranda made clear to us last week, Timothy's vocation led him deeper into community. It is from community that the senses, the purpose of Timothy's ministry are drawn. So I want to suggest to us that calling is a lived intentionality in response to God's presence. Calling is a lived intentionality in response to God's presence. An intentionality that assumes a particular terroir, a certain flavor born from a particular soil, the soil of your life in this garden that we're tilling together. So yes... A vocation is a highly personal thing, just like a fingerprint. But it's a fingerprint that keeps changing to reflect our, God with right, with God, our life with God right now. But it's not a personal thing because it, it echoes so far beyond our private lives. It resonates into community, into culture, into politics, and through generations. Remember Baranda's story about her, her, her grandmother and her tia's? Last week, callings that echo through generations. So, from that perspective, at the center of our study of Timothy and other characters like Ruth and John that we're were studying in this series sits this key. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. As a community, we need the gift of each other right now. Two weeks ago, as we were singing, Chris made a comment that went straight to my heart. This is the lie that I remember. So as we rediscover how to touch each other, as we find our voice in song again, I think we're finding each other as we plod out of this pandemic. In the past 20 months, we've accrued a lot of hurt, a lot of trauma. Some of it we can share and articulate. Some of it will very likely percolate to the surface later on because it's so deep we don't even know it's there yet. Do not neglect the gift that is in you because the life God gives us is given to share with one another. Do not neglect the gift that is in you because the life God gives us is given for us to learn who we are together. Do not neglect the gift that is in you because the life God gives us is given for us to rehearse community week in and week out. Do not neglect the gift that is in you Because the life God gives us is given for us to live God's grace and love into the world. Do not neglect the gift that is in you.